a lot of people probably think being a study abroad advisor is a lot sexier than it actually is. <laughs> like, it's, you, I mean, it's really, when it comes down to it, you're just, a, you work at a university, you know, yeah. it's pretty similar to just being an academic advisor. <laughs> so, okay. I, um, I remember advising some students on a particular program that shall not be named that okay. was about $30,000 a semester. Ooh. <laughs> it was real awkward because oh. the students would come in all excited because it's, I mean, it's a really cool sounding, flashy program. And then I would have to tell them what, how much it costs. And you could just see the oh. life die in their eyes. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was rough. $30,000. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That one was a, like a notable outlier. They were not all that expensive. <laughs> Welcome to Young, Gifted, and Abroad, perspectives on studying abroad from past and present students of color. My name is Danielle, and I'm so excited to be able to talk to you today because today I have my friend Tiara as the guest. Tiara works in higher education, and she actually was a study abroad advisor for a number of years. I think she's the first study abroad advisor that we've had on the show. I know I interviewed a guidance counselor for a traveling international school uh, that was Tiffany from episode 38 but as far as that sort of traditional university study abroad advisor goes yeah Tierra is the first one so <laughs> that's really exciting and Tierra actually has experience from both sides of it so in high school, she went on a student exchange trip to Germany, and then in college, she had this really unique experience in Russia that was partly a language immersion program and also partly a volunteer experience where she was working as a camp counselor at a summer camp over there. And then later on, also in college, she did an intensive German program in Germany, once again, and even in grad school and with her work as a study abroad advisor, um, even those things had her uh, going to various countries and visiting some really interesting places. So Tierra really has a wealth of knowledge, not only about the places she's been, but also language learning <laughs> and what it takes to become a study abroad advisor, what that type of work is like, and of course, what types of programs are out there for students looking to go abroad. So I'm really glad I got the chance to talk to her and, and hear about things from her perspective, and I hope you gain a lot from hearing our conversation. So without further ado, sit back, relax, and enjoy my interview with my friend, Tierra De Giorgio. Nice to meet you. <laughs> yeah, nice to meet you too. Um, thank you for agreeing to be a guest on this podcast. I really appreciate it, especially since I know you're in the midst of moving and I did kind of randomly 
just contact you out of the blue on Twitter. So I appreciate you making the time to speak to me today. <laughs> totally fine. It's honestly kind of a, a good distraction from the moving uh, stress and all that. So yeah. Okay. Well, I'm glad I can help then. If <laughs> help help be a help by being a welcome distraction. So yeah. Um. Okay. So then, uh, why don't we? Go ahead and get started Okay, with you introducing yourself a bit, if you don't mind. Yeah. So my name is Tierra DiGiorgio. Um, currently, I work for an online university uh, doing credential evaluations for uh, international applicants. But I also have a background in more traditional study abroad. So I worked in a study abroad office. Hmm. Uh, for two and a half years, doing advising, working on programs, more traditional type of stuff. Let's see what else. I went to went to graduate school for higher education. I always wanted to to be a study abroad advisor, and so I I went to to graduate school with with that in mind and uh, studied higher education and kind of took it from there. Okay. So, what is it that made you want to be a study abroad advisor? Was it studying abroad yourself, or or even before then? Did you have an interest in working in higher education? Uh, so, it was kind of a combination of all of those things. Hmm. I studied abroad several times throughout undergrad and grad school. Um, I did a, a shorter exchange program when I was in... in high school, and I was also studying languages in high school, and so all of that put together kind of coalesced into the interest in wanting to be a study abroad advisor. And when I was researching how to become a study abroad advisor, most of the resources basically said, you need a master's in student affairs or something like that. So I put myself on that path, essentially. Okay, cool. And what about your interest in languages? Was it um, is it German? Is that what you started out with, or were there other languages that yeah. got you interested in you know visiting other countries? Um, yeah, I started. It was the ones that I studied in high school. I st- started with Spanish, and then added German just for fun. <laughs> um, kind of really clicked with both of them, and just kept going with it, and then. Uh, everything kind of went from there. Yeah. Okay. And so you mentioned the the exchange was first, right? Was that because I I yes. know you went to Germany and Russia, right? So the mm-hmm. first program you did was that where was that? Um. So the first, I guess, my first study abroad program ever was the exchange program I did in high school. Mm. Um, it was called the, the German-American Partnership Program. Oh, okay. And it's basically where high schools in the U.S. and German high schools uh, exchange groups of students. So I went over there for two weeks. We had a group of German students come over and stay with a group of U.S. students taking German at my high school for two weeks. Mm. Um, and so that that was really my first experience then. Mm. I grew out of studying German. Okay. Was this your first time abroad as well? Uh, yes. It was my first time on a, a really significant, I would say, trip abroad. Um, 
I'd been to, I think I had probably been to Jamaica and other places uh, like that that were closer to where I lived at the time. I grew up just near Atlanta, so mm. it was really, really short flight. So Germany was the first time that I had an overnight flight and all of that, mm. that fun stuff. <laughs> And so then how did that go with the, excuse me, the exchange program you did in Germany? You know, how was that experience for you? So it, it was really hard, um, but it was also a lot of fun. Like the good kind of challenging, I guess, because mm. I was going through all of the things that you go through when you're abroad for the first time. Um, you know, culture shock. And then, of course, I was in high school, so feeling all of the Dealing with all of that regular high school nonsense, mm. <laughs> um, and in the, what I think made it harder was that it was only two weeks, whereas my other programs that I went on were most of them longer. So it felt like right when I was starting to get the swing of things, it was time to leave. Yeah, but I did really push myself outside of my comfort zone, and I I liked what I was able to accomplish and that I had been able to push myself with that. So yeah, um, it was really cool to have that experience. Yeah, I bet. And, and where in Germany were you? The group of students that we, I guess, were paired with was in Chemnitz, which is on the eastern side. It's near uh, like Dresden and close to the Czech Republic, actually. Okay. All right. So like, east, like you said, eastern Germany. Okay. Yeah. I know a bit about Germany, but not a ton. So I'm trying to picture it in my mind. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So that was the first time. And then the next, like, program you went on, was that the intensive language program in Germany? Um, So the next one I went on was an intensive language program in Russia. Oh, okay. Uh, Yeah. It was... Yeah, it's kind of weird to look back on it all, but... (laughs) The program was unique for a lot of reasons. It was language immersion, but you didn't need to know Russian to go. It was kind of like, just jump in and give it your best shot and see what happens. Um, so th- that program is really complicated now when I think about it. It was technically a, a faculty-led program in that we had a, a faculty member from the university with us most of the time, but it was also in this unique partnership with uh, an organization called Camp Counselors USA. So mm. we were basically studying abroad and volunteering as camp counselors at Russian summer camps, um, mm. which is, is wild when I put it like that, because I'm not an outdoorsy person or anything like that. <laughs> and <laughs> it, it was a lot. Um, I kind of just did the same thing as I did with Germany. I picked something that I thought sounded cool and out of my comfort zone and just went right in. Um, yeah. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so you were volunteering as a camp counselor, but also at the same time having this like language immersion experience, like all that together at the same time while you were in Russia. Yes. Okay. Um, no one else, I mean, some, some people, some of the children spoke a little bit of English, but it was essentially like, just pick up what you can. Okay. And this, was this for an entire summer? No, this was only for four weeks. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So if, 
if you all are, you know, from the States speaking English, but you're at this camp full of Russian children, I mean, how did you communicate? Or was that was that your job to like help them with English or I don't, I don't, how did that go? Yeah, so it was it was kind of a a combination of things. They didn't throw us in there totally blind. Um, we did. I'm pretty sure they gave us access to Rosetta Stone so we could learn a little bit like the mm-hmm. basics and the alphabet and basic phrases and things like that. The year that I went was actually the first year some students who had actually studied Russian went on the program. Mm. But basically, it was partly to try and help the children with their English, but also to, I guess, just try to get to know them through camp activities and fun things like that and uh, and cultural experiences. So I really did not know that much Russian when I went there. Um, didn't really leave knowing a ton. Mm-hmm. But by the time I had been there long enough, I was getting able to to recognize more of what people were saying. Um, I was able to memorize some of the the songs that they sang at the camp, and <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was cute. Understand parts of some of the movies that they showed the kids. So very 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 basic. Yeah. Okay. No, I'm just thinking. I'm thinking about this because. I don't know. I, I remember when I first saw you mention online being a camp counselor in Russia and then you describing it just now. I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking of like a typical American summer camp, but then, but everything is Russian because you're in Russia. I guess that's my only frame of reference for like a summer yeah. camp. Um, I don't know why it never occurred to me that there'd be summer camps in Russia. Maybe I just don't spend much time thinking about Russia <laughs> like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was the same. but it, And I've never actually been to, like, a sleepaway camp. I've been to, I went to day summer camps, but mm. it was pretty much what, what you would expect. Just everything in, in Russia and, and, you know, middle of the woods, middle of nowhere kind of vibe. Um oh. Yeah, <laughs> you mentioned you mentioned not being uh, an outdoorsy person. So is that is is that what you typically did? Was like outdoorsy stuff since it was summertime? Or oh, abs- absolutely. Um, I mean, it it was very outdoorsy. I'm trying to remember some of the things. So a lot of the times, the the children would go swimming in the lake. Um, we did some campfire type things where everyone would just sit around and talk and there were all these different games that the kids played that most of the time I had no idea what was going on but (laughs) they were just still fun to watch (laughs) um we would go on walks or or hikes I guess you could call them in in the area um they played things like capture the flag and intense games like that uh but we weren't like sleeping in tents or anything um there were buildings and running water and bathrooms and all of that. It was just all of the structures were in the middle of the forest. The The name of the camp actually translates to forest fairy tale. Oh. Um, so yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I got, got a crash course in outdoorsy things. Wow. Okay. I know you said this was like in the middle of nowhere. I don't know if you can approximate where in Russia this was. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so it is 
the closest town to where the camp was located is a town called Yashkarla, which is an 18-hour train ride from Moscow. Oh, wow. Yeah. So an overnight train ride. <laughs> oh my goodness. And it, yeah. wait, but then how how long did it take for y'all to fly there in the first place? I want to say it was probably like 10 or 11 hours. The way the program was set up, because it was partnered with Camp Counselors USA, mm-hmm. um, it was our group from, from the University of Georgia, and they had a beginning of the program. You had two days in New York City for orientation, mm. and then everyone flew to Moscow together. You had another two days, I guess, orientation there, and then people split up to go to their respective camps. Um, so it was kind of bookended. You had another two days in Moscow on the way back, I guess, to, to decompress. Okay. So it wasn't, wasn't just straight, get on a plane, go to Russia, get on the train, go to your camp, because that would have been a lot. <laughs> yeah, really overwhelming. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so it's good you had those days, like, in place to have orientation or decompress, as you put it. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> you said 10 or 11 hours flying, and then, you know, you had two days, and then you had an 18-hour train ride. It's just, oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's um. I mean, I mean that that's kind of sounds fun. I think the longest I've ever been on a train is maybe... Maybe six hours? I don't know. I don't even know. It wasn't 18, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it really wasn't too bad. Um, you, We just got on in, I think, the afternoon and then hung around, ate dinner, and went to sleep. And the stop for where we were going was super early in the morning. So mm-hmm. um, the other thing that helped was that the camp actually had um, – oh, I can't remember what they – they called it essentially nap time built into the daily schedule. So yeah. the first week or so we were there, all all of the Americans were sleeping during nap time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good that, that that was in place, you know. Um, I feel like nap time is something everybody can use. Um, yeah. And I guess it makes sense since they're, you know, you're at a camp with, like, young people to have. Well, I mean, how young, how young were the... What's the word? Like campers, like the children at your camp. So it was a pretty big age range. Um, I think the oldest was probably 14 to 16. And then the youngest, uh, maybe seven or eight. So that is a pretty wide range. Um, Yeah. Anyway, my point was anybody can use nap time. So I'm glad that everybody got to have (laughs) nap time when they needed it. (laughs) Well, the the Russian counselors, I don't think, got nap time. They had actual work and things to do. But I think they just took pity on us (laughs) because obviously. Man, okay. Were the Russian counselors, were they the ones kind of like training you all? And like, uh, what's the word? I, I guess supervising is, is y'all were working with the kids. I guess I'm wondering about the rapport that you all had with the, the Russian camp counselors. Yeah, so they they were basically the ones, I would say, who were more in charge. So they had the, the kids split up into little smaller groups based on their age group. Mm-hmm. And each of us were paired with 
either one or two Russian counselors. So it wasn't like we were in charge of a group of kids on our own. Okay. Um, we had essentially a, a co-worker, I would say. So that was good. And I think, if I remember correctly, most of the, the Russian counselors spoke at least some English. So we weren't totally lost. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Um, were they also like university students like you all were? Or were they like being a camp counselor was their like job job? Um, I think some of them were, it was kind of like a, not necessarily a part-time job, but like a summer job for them. Okay. But most of them were around the same age as us. So okay. university age. All right. That makes sense. And you mentioned that, you know, when you got there, you arrived in, in Moscow, had orientation, and then you all went into or were sent to your various camps um, yes. in Russia. So is this all like your group that went and participated in this program? These are all University of Georgia students? Um, so, no, that's where it actually gets more complicated. Oh. <laughs> um, there were, I think there was one other group of students from another university that were on this program with us. Mm-hmm. And then there were also a couple of, I don't know, I guess just random students who weren't with a, a group who were put into our camp counselor group overall. So it was probably about 20 students from all over the U.S. Okay. Who all went through orientation together, and then we split to go to different camps. I see. And you mentioned how, uh, I guess your approach was that, you know, this was something different and outside of your comfort zone, and it would be language-related, and so you just kind of went for it and, and gave it a shot. I'm wondering if if yeah. you had any, um, if that means that you maybe didn't have too many expectations about how it was going to be or how Russia was was going to be like. Um, not really. I basically picked the program because, like I said, it was just it sounded like it was out of my comfort zone, and I when I was making the decision when I was choosing the program, um, I remember meeting with one of the study abroad advisors at my university and I had narrowed it down to Russia or this other program that was, I think it was somewhere in Austria. And the advisor was basically like, you know, you're going to have a great time on either of these. If you're looking for something that's really, really unique, the Russia program is probably a better fit because the Austria program, there are a hundred different versions of that same program Mm -hmm. Um, and a hundred people who've had the same experience essentially. But the Russia thing is, super unique and so i kind of heard that and thought about it i hadn't really ever thought much about russia or anything Mm -hmm. Um, i'm glad i went there when i did i don't know if it would be okay to go now with like the political tensions Mm -hmm. and everything yeah um but i essentially just thought it sounded cool and gave it a shot okay and it worked out (laughs) yeah (laughs) Uh, you mentioned Moscow. Uh, I know you only spent, was it two days there at the beginning and then another two days there at the end. But I don't know if, if you got any sort of feel for what Moscow was like or any impressions that you got of Moscow since that. Is that the biggest city? Or is it St. Petersburg? 
don't um, I don't know. Like yeah, I don't know if it's the biggest. <laughs> it definitely, it was definitely a cool city. Um, I would say it was very similar to other European capital cities, I would mm-hmm. say. Um, it did have its own unique flair. The thing that stands out to me the most probably is the, the metro system. It's just really, really clean and really beautiful, like ornately decorated, um, which is usually not the case in <laughs> a lot of metro systems worldwide. Mm. So it, it was just stunning, breathtaking. But that's really the main thing that stands out. Other than that, it was, we kind of did the, the typical touristy things that you would do in, um, capital cities, okay. museums and tours and pictures and things like that. Okay. I don't, I like, I don't know what the touristy things are to do in Moscow. Cause I, again, I don't think about Russia very often. So I don't know if there were yeah. like any highlights to that in terms of the touristy things that you did while you were there. Um, so let me think. I know one of the big things is to visit Red Square, which is, I, I think where a lot of the main government buildings are. Mm. Um, and it's this really famous, beautiful courtyard. And there's also St. Basil's Cathedral, which is that iconic cathedral I think a lot of people think of when they think of Russia. It's got the little dome towers that are really colorful. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> yeah. See, <laughs> that's there. Oh, and we also, we went to uh, the circus when we were there, too. That was random very cool um and the only other thing i can think about too is the the art museum there is a a really well-known art museum we went to and i can't remember the name of it but it's like on the level with um like the louvre and things like that Mm. okay i guess this applies not just to moscow but obviously your um camp experience as well since that spent most of your that's where you spent most of your time what about like russian food I don't know much about Russian food. I know there's some stuff like I, I know, I've heard of some things. There's some sort of dish that's like pink. I think because it has radish in it or something that I've heard of. Oh, and then the, yeah, and then there's some sort of like salad. It's not a really. It's like how we call macaroni a potato salad. It's like a like a Russian potato salad, I guess. I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, you know, so, some some pretty interesting looking foods that I've seen or heard of when it comes to Russian cuisine. So I don't, I don't know if you've, ha- um, I guess if you could speak to your experience with like Russian food, if anything stuck out to you in particular. Yeah. So I feel like when a lot of people think of Russia, the foods that come to mind are like, obviously, potatoes and tomatoes and onions and things like that. Um, beets. So there was definitely a lot of that. Um, mostly what we ate at the camp, they would have oatmeal in the mornings or the Russian version of oatmeal. I think it was called kasha, mm. which is just basically like a super thick oatmeal, probably a lot healthier for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, they did a lot of different soups with different meats and fishes. There was... So there were two unexpected foods that they made at the camp. I still don't actually know what they were called, but I think about them a lot because they were really good. Mm. <laughs> um, one was a very chunky sort of pancake type thing that was really just like a sweet bread. Um, mm. 
they would make that as a snack. And they would also have this drink that the only way I can think to describe it is like hot liquid liquid jello. It was like pink, hmm. but it was kind of this fresh minty flavor, but it looked like Pepto-Bismol. And I don't know. <laughs> it was weird. I don't know what it was called, but it was really good. I, g- I got used to it. Okay. Um, <laughs> but other than that, I would say it was kind of pretty normal, um, normal foods. Mm-hmm. Nothing really too crazy stands out. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. No, I appreciate you. Um, Describing what you ate, because again, it's uh, something that I don't know much about, uh, besides like the, I don't know, you know, people hear about like various cuisines, and of course, this, the quote unquote weird looking stuff uh, sticks out the most. So like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, something I'm, I'm, I'm meant to ask, because um, you said you had studied Spanish and German, and then you were um, learning Russian as well. And like you said, it's like, you didn't learn a ton before you went and it's not like you came back after that month fluent in Russian anyway but you know you learned a bit and so I'm just just wondering if um since you had that experience learn, uh, studying German and Spanish already if that made things easier in terms of learning Russian like since you were already experienced in learning other languages did that have any effect on your ability to learn this new language that you were learning I think it probably made it a little bit easier um i'm i'm not sure if i'm the the best person to to answer that question as i feel like i i tend to pick up languages better than i guess a lot of people that i know Hmm. but i think i think it definitely did help because even if it's a different language there there are things that are just common when learning another language i would say the hardest part was the alphabet because every other language I had learned up to that point used the same alphabet, and Russia, Russian did not. So <laughs> that was tough. Um, and I do think the, the immersion piece really helped, too. Um, at that point, I hadn't really had that immersion experience for that long. So it was cool to see just how much you really do pick up when you're essentially surrounded by the language all the time. I see. Yeah. Yeah, immersion definitely helps. As far as the camp goes, uh, I mean, I don't know how close you all were able to get with the children there or with the, you know, the Russian staff there. But I'm just thinking of my own camp experiences when I was a kid. There's usually like some sort of send off at the end once it's over. So I don't know once you all, like you and your group of fellow American students were leaving if there was any sort of like send off for you all at the end of that? Yeah, I think um, I'm trying to remember. I know that they, they definitely did something for us. Okay. Um, (laughs) Oh, okay. So I think it was a little bit weird because uh, essentially you could do the program for different lengths. So the camp I was at, I was with two other girls from my school and they were both doing the eight week program and I was only doing the four week program. Hmm. So I think it would have been different if all three of us were leaving at the same time, but I'm pretty sure they did uh, like a, a 
So my camp was really big on discos, which they would basically, it was basically just a giant dance, um, <laughs> dance party for, for no reason, um, <laughs> for just for fun. Um, but they would, ha- they would sometimes have reasons. Like we did a 4th of July disco where we did some cultural things. And then I'm pretty sure they had a, a birthday disco for one of the other American students. And I think they did a disco around the time I was leaving. But yeah, it's weird. Some of the, I remember certain things really well and then other things not so well. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> That's quite all right. Um, uh, I'm just, you know, asking questions as they come to me. So if you don't remember certain things, that's completely fine. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no worries at all. Um, there was something else about Russia I was going to ask. Oh, yes. So you mentioned at the end you spent two days in Moscow before heading back to the States uh, to, like, <laughs> decompress. But I don't... Is that... Is that... Was that the purpose of those two days to, like, um... What's the word that they, they call it after, um... Like when you discuss oh, something, debrief. yeah, debrief. Thank you <laughs> to debrief after yeah. after the program was over. Was that the purpose of those two days? Or yes, I think so. Okay, um, we yeah, we actually had a you know a post program survey and then um, kind of a more informal debrief session where we just sat down and all talked about our experiences. So yeah, okay. Um, overall, it was like. Um, like a worthwhile experience for you, positive, generally positive experience for you being in Russia for that month, you would say? Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, definitely. Um, it was definitely really hard and there were a lot of challenging parts. Um, it wasn't all great, but it's definitely one of those things that I look back on and just think that I'm, I'm so glad I did that because it, it yeah. was a really cool experience and it's fun to talk about and it's, just not an experience that a lot of people have had. So. Yeah. yeah. Like your advisor was saying, that is really unique, you know. I mean, not many people get to go to Russia, much less be a camp counselor there. So, yeah. It's a really, yeah. really unique experience that you got to have. That's cool. And then you also did, was it a German intensive, right? Was that for the same amount of time? A month? Y- yes. Okay. Uh, yeah, that was... Two years later. Okay. And that was... Where in Germany was that? Um, so that was in Freiburg, Germany, which is in the, the south area near the Black Forest, uh, really close to Switzerland. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. So I'm, I'm seeing it in the map in my head as you're describing where these places are. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I got an idea of where that is. And, and was this, like, with Russia, something you wanted to do, or was this part of... I don't know if you minored or majored in German since you had already been studying studying it before. What were your motivations, basically, for, for doing this German intensive? I ended up uh, majoring in German and Spanish. So for the, the German program, I wanted to have that immersion experience. Um, one of Well, actually, I think both of the courses I took counted toward my overall major requirements. Mm. And I essentially picked the summer program that time because by then I had, I had become a resident assistant on campus mm. and didn't want to give up that job. So going abroad for a semester wasn't really, f- I mean, it wasn't feasible. It, it was, I could have 
done it, but then I would have had to reapply for the job when I came back. So mm. my thought process was, um, I'll just choose a summer program. And yeah, that one was, it was specifically intensive language program. Um, you, I went with a group of students from uh, my university again, another faculty led. You were you were tested for uh, your language proficiency once you got there. So it was an you were actually taking classes at the, the Goethe Institute, which is a really mm. uh, well known German language school. Yeah. So they they tested you, and then you were put into a different level of classes. So we did class for probably four or five hours a day. And then um, outside of class, we were doing the things that our, our faculty leader put together. So different um, tours and excursions and cultural experiences and things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. When you got there and you were like, had your language level assessed, where would you say you were at that point? I think I tested into like the well, I don't know what level I t- specifically tested at, but I know they put me into um, a class that was at the B2 level, which mm. is, I guess, lower intermediate or, or something. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that. Um, oh, I can forget the name. There's a, yeah, a European language framework or something. Yeah, I am. I studied French, so I know it's like, was it C2 is like the highest or something like that? And then, yeah. I'm I'm familiar. <laughs> yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> How did that compare? I mean, obviously it was longer and more focused on developing your German skills. But I mean, um, how do you feel like that experience in, you said Freiburg? Is that how you pronounce it? Mm-hmm. How, how yeah. did that compare to your experience um, previously? Like when you, the exchange you did when you were in high school? So I would say I I definitely enjoyed it more because I had just more language experience. When I went to Germany in high school, I think I had only taken a year or two of German, mm. which I thought was a lot at the high school level. But after studying German at the college level, I realized was not really a lot. <laughs> so I was actually able to really get out and do things on my own and not be dependent on my host sister like I had been the first time I went. Mm. Um, so I was already kind of at a higher level and able to, to just do more and experience more. But I also just really uh, learned a lot and improved a lot. That experience, I think, was probably the, the best thing I could have done for my German. I think it changed my ability to speak German. Mm. Um, and if, if I had gone for longer, I absolutely would be probably super proficient. But I, I just got so comfortable with it, especially because it was such an intensive language program. So literally your job was to just learn German and <laughs> explore Germany. Um, so, I mean, that's that's what I did. And it was obviously different from going to Russia because I knew, I, I knew more than the basics going in. So I was able to advance a little bit farther in my knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously it was my major, so I kept going with it once I, I came back. But the interesting thing about that, I think, is since I did that intensive language program, even though I, I double majored in German and Spanish, I never studied abroad anywhere that was a Spanish-speaking country. Hmm. And I really see the difference in just my abilities and my comfort level with the two languages. Like, my German is so much 
I would, I say better, but I guess I just mean I'm more comfortable with it. Mm, um, okay. cause I had essentially the same grammatical background with both, but you know, I, I will take any opportunity I can now to, to speak to someone in German just cause it's like, it's fun and I enjoy it. Whereas I actively avoid speaking Spanish because oh. I just don't, I don't want to deal with it. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel that. It can be intimidating uh, using, you know, other languages. Even if you've invested the time in learning them and, and all that, it can still be intimidating. But I'm glad that you're, you know, the, the intensive language program you did in Germany ended up doing so much to, like, solidify your German and your, your comfort, especially with using German as well, so... Yeah. yeah. Did you have a, a host family like you did with your the high school exchange that you did? No. For for this one, because it was an intensive program with the, the specific language school, mm-hmm. um, oh, that right. school... Yeah. yeah, so they actually had... They called it a guest house, but essentially dorm-style um, buildings where anyone who was taking classes there could stay. So all of us on the program were staying in there. So it was just like a dorm room, essentially. Mm, gotcha. Like you said, your job was basically to, <laughs> to, to study German and get better at German. So I know that it took up like a good portion of your time. I'm wondering if yeah. you went to um other parts of germany at all during this time or if you even want maybe went to switzerland since it wasn't terribly far yeah so um the funny thing is didn't actually go to any other parts of germany but i did, I did go to switzerland mm, um, okay <laughs> yeah a couple of us took a a day trip over there because it was i think maybe like an hour and a half or something away by bus um we ended up going on a Sunday, which wasn't great because a lot of stuff was closed, mm. but I could still say I've been to Switzerland, so that was <laughs> cool. And the the language school actually also had put together a weekend trip to Paris. Oh, um, okay. That I jumped right right in on. So a couple of us went on that, and it was uh, like a seven or eight hour bus ride, but we went to Paris for the weekend. So that was that was pretty cool. Um, and honestly, we didn't really have a whole lot of time to do too much traveling. We were only there for a month. But yeah. if I'd been there longer, I absolutely would have gone everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's funny. You were, you were based in Germany. That's what you were there for was the whole like yeah. German element of it. But you actually, <laughs> instead of exploring like other places in Germany, you actually went to other countries and proximity but i mean i guess that makes sense yeah. that's what a lot of people do when they go to europe anyways you start one place yeah. and then you hop around to other places since it's easier to go between countries there so well that <laughs> must have been fun <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh i'm glad you got a chance to do that did you did you mention not uh studying abroad in a spanish-speaking country did you eventually make it to a spanish-speaking country at some point um (laughs) uh, since you you know that was one of your majors and i don't know like even just for leisure were you able to get to visit a spanish-speaking country eventually yeah i did um so i i think the second year or was it the first year at some point when i was working in um my advisor position Hmm. 
we send a lot of students on a program programs with a provider called USAC, and they offered site visits for uh, study abroad staff and university staff. So um, I was able to go and visit their programs in Chile and Uruguay mm. one one year, which was awesome. And then the following year, they had their organizational annual meeting, and um, a couple of us from our office went, and that that was actually in Spain. So I was able to to go there as well, and. Oh, I forgot about this, too. Um, <laughs> I did actually do another very short program when I was in graduate school. It was a comparative higher education course, and we visited universities in Spain and Portugal. Mm. Um, so I was there for a couple of days. And I went to Costa Rica for my honeymoon last year. <laughs> oh, wonderful. Yeah. Belated, belated congrats to you. I know it's been like a year, but like, belated <laughs> Thank congrats you. to you. <laughs> I'm getting married. Um, okay, so you did make it to some Spanish-speaking countries, so that's good. Uh, yeah. That hasn't made you feel any more comfortable with Spanish, though? Not really, because we... Even though, I've, you know, when I, when I was just saying that, I was like, wow, I have actually been to a fair few, mm. but it it was never for a significant amount of time. It mm. was just um, a couple days here and there in each country. So I would get to practice a little bit and maybe feel a little bit more comfortable. But I think what really helps me is being there for an extended period of time and mm. just basically having no choice but to use the language. <laughs> right. <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. You mentioned doing site visits as a you know, study abroad advisor. I'm wondering what that, what does a site visit entail? Are you basically just like, I don't know, feeling things out before students start going to those places so you can have a, an idea of how to like support them once their programs start or, you know, what is, or I don't know, I, I could be like way off, but what does a site visit entail <laughs> for, you know, someone who's a study abroad advisor? Uh, no, so you, you're definitely right on track. Okay. <laughs> um, I think it's it's probably a little different based on uh, I guess which study abroad provider is hosting the site visit, but in my case, it was essentially just to familiarize ourselves with that location and to better be able to serve your students. Um, so I, I think it made advising easier. It's totally different to be able to say that. I think this would be a good fit for you because of X, Y, Z that I noticed when I was there and things like that. But we we would basically have, um, you'd get a tour of all the facilities that the students would be using. So like wherever they would be staying. So we would see some of the dorm style housing. We were able to tour a couple different places that uh, were being used as homestays mm. where they would stay with local families. Some of them, were like, sure, yeah, you can tour my house. <laughs> um, so we toured where the classrooms would be. Essentially just got a feel for the area. And then we would have presentations by the local staff there um, to tell us in, in their own words what they thought students needed to know and um, what was unique about their particular location, what type of student might be a good fit. And things like that. Oh, and also just gave us an opportunity to develop a relationship with 
the staff on the ground there too. Mm. Um, so it was kind of a lot rolled into one visit, <laughs> but a very cool experience. Yeah. Sounds like it. I mean, I'm sure that as an advisor, you probably can't test out all the locations or the programs that you're offering to students or, you know, that students might have access to. But is that typical for study abroad advisors to go on these site visits for to like do their job better or support students better? Is it typical to go on site visits so advisors know, I guess, firsthand how a program is going to be? I don't actually know. Um, the office I worked in, it was very common. I don't actually know anyone else or or talk to frequently anyone who was a study abroad advisor. So, um, the only other people I know who've done it were the people who worked in that office. Yeah. (laughs) Um, but so I went on site visits for, uh, with one particular provider and then, um, our other advisor went on visits with another provider. So I think it is something that's offered by multiple different study abroad program providers, Mm -hmm. but whether or not you can go, I would say depends on where you work. I was fortunate enough to work somewhere where they were really happy to invest in that type of thing. Um, Because typically your institution has to pay for, for you to go. Mm -hmm. Um, If, if obviously if they hadn't been paid, I wouldn't, wouldn't have been able to, to do it. So I think it really just does depend on, where you work if you can do it and how often okay and I, um hmm. i guess this is something that i i guess should have asked previously i guess just backtracking to going to grad school to become a study abroad advisor are there like <laughs> tenets that you learn are you taught that there's like a specific purpose or a set of purposes for what you do or does it depend on each individual person um, in terms of how they go about approaching um, study abroad advising? I would say it depends on each individual person. Hmm. So there, there's all different sorts of trainings you can do for study abroad advising. Um, I actually, having done that for a couple of years, I don't think that, well, having a, a master's degree is not strictly necessary for doing the job. Hmm. Um I did that because I thought it would make it easier to get a job, and I think it did a little bit. But after having done the job, I can say I think a lot of it is uh, can come down to training and just really being a good listener, trying to, to develop a rapport with students and figure out what it is they need and what they're interested in, and matching them with programs that are a good fit and helping them get that information. But there's not like a specific set of of things that you learn in graduate school. At least my program wasn't specifically for study abroad. I just I have a a general higher education degree mm-hmm. um, that concentrated in international education. So I took a couple of courses about international stuff at universities broadly. Mm-hmm. I think there are some programs that are literally just master's preparation for study abroad advising and those might have a more specific curriculum but mine didn't okay i see in my opinion you don't need a master's to do the job but Mm -hmm. um i would say the vast majority of entry-level study abroad advising 
posts are going to be masters preferred, if not masters required. It's just kind of become the the norm. Yeah. Um. So it it definitely helps, but I I don't think it's it's super necessary. Okay. And how do you feel it compares in terms of like, you know, when you were younger thinking about wanting to be a study abroad advisor versus having done it already? I know you do something slightly different now, but in terms of like what you were set out to do, maybe what you expected to achieve, or maybe even just what you thought the the job would be like, how did the reality compare to like the ideas that you had when you were originally thinking of becoming a study abroad advisor? So that's a juicy question. Um, (laughs) um, (laughs) um, Yeah, there's, um, I would say there's, there's a a little bit of tea to be spilled there. Um, (laughs) I, so I don't really think I had a, a specific idea of what it would be like mm. I I thought it was mostly just you know get students excited about going abroad and help them pick their programs and obviously that is a part of it but there there is a lot more to it um, there's a lot of administrative things that go along with I would say any sort of advising role at a university mm-hmm. um, I think what was the hardest thing for me was um, that I am definitely very much of an introvert. Mm. And in the particular office where I worked and just the way that study abroad was set up there, the advising roles were very heavily, I would say, customer service oriented, uh. which I didn't realize until I was in the role that wasn't necessarily the best fit for my personality type. Mm-hmm. I think it, like most jobs varies widely depending on where you work and kind of how they approach the advising experience and the the student support experience. Um, but for me, I, I really struggled with that aspect. It was trying to think of the, the best way to, to describe it. It was essentially like you just have to do everything you can to always be available and you know no matter what else you are working on mm. if a student walks in and has a question about a program even if they don't have an advising appointment or anything you're supposed to help them and that just wasn't something that really fit with my ideal workflow mm-hmm. um so that was definitely something that was was hard for me to work through yeah i think i honestly a lot of people probably think being a study abroad advisor is um, a lot sexier than it actually is. <laughs> like, it's, you, I mean, it's really when it comes down to it, you're just a, you work at a university. You know, yeah. it's pretty similar to just being an academic advisor. So. Well, that's fair. That's fair. Um. <laughs> But no, I, I understand, especially in terms of being an introvert and being in a, you know, like you said, a, a role that ended up being more customer service oriented than you thought. I'm sure that was very challenging, especially having to be available all the time. That's not something that, for as, a, as an introvert myself, I can understand. It's like, oh, like, you need time to yourself. So if you always have to be available <laughs> whenever someone shows up, that can be very... 
that can be very frazzling for like one's nerves. Like I, <laughs> I can imagine yeah. how draining that might be. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Yeah, and then and I would feel bad about it because I, you know, I would have set advising hours of appointments mm-hmm. where you know I would have my advi- my scheduled advising sessions. So I was prepared for those and ready for those and in the right headspace. But a student that just wandered in and wanted to talk to someone, I I felt like they weren't getting me at my best. And so mm-hmm. I wasn't able to give them 100% like I would have in a, a scheduled appointment. Yeah. Um, so that, that was also hard. Yeah. As far as, you know, the students that you interacted with, maybe it's hard to pinpoint. I guess the question I'm about to ask is like very general. But I don't know if you notice any sort of patterns in terms of what students interested in studying abroad were looking for, like, you know, what they were looking to get out of the experience or maybe even concerns they had about doing certain programs or going to certain places. Were there any patterns that you saw uh, come up in the, the some of the students that you were advising? Oh, uh, definitely. Yeah, there were definitely some, some specific patterns and trying to think how to describe them. There's one group of students who... They wanted to say that they had been abroad, but they didn't want to do something that was too out of their comfort zone or mm. too much work, but they still, they wanted some part of the experience. And so there were specific programs for that, that we would gear them towards. So things like where you, you would be living in Spain or Italy, but all your classes would be in English. Mm. You would be living with other study abroad students and not, um, you know, native speakers or local people or anything like that. Some students wanted that specifically. Um, others wanted the total opposite where you, they wanted the experience of basically being an international student. So you would just go to a university in another country. Mm-hmm. You've got the support of that school's international office, but you might be the only American student um, at that university all of your classes are going to be in that language or some sort of hybrid mix. Um, you're going to make friends with the locals and other students in that area. So those are kind of the two extremes. And then there were different uh, variations from that in the middle. But most of the time, the students I saw would fall into one of those, uh, one of those camps. And then from there, it was just figuring out an exact location. Hmm. Um, program type was always a lot easier than location. <laughs> oh, really? Why is that? Um, I would just say it was it was easier to narrow down from program type. Because at least where I worked, there were specific programs that offered different types of experiences. So hmm. the one where you would essentially be like an international student at my university was called a, a direct exchange, and we only had those with specific partner institutions. So oh, okay. if the student was like, this is the experience I want, I could say to them, okay, well, here's the locations you could do that. Whereas if they were on the opposite end of the spectrum, um, they had a lot more locations to choose from, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just another question I had about working as a study abroad advisor. Um did you also have to kind of like try to get students interested in studying abroad? I don't know if you called it like recruitment or not, but I don't, I don't know if that was part of your job as well in terms of trying to promote study abroad and get more students interested. 
or if that's a different type of role that I might be thinking of? It was definitely both. Okay. Um, so, yeah, there were some students who, you know, the first day of classes would wander into the office and say, I wanted to go abroad spring semester. <laughs> um, and then, uh, but obviously, another large part of the job was was outreach. So, mm-hmm. we, we did a, actually a really decent amount of outreach. Um, I would say the most significant thing that uh, we did as advisors was we would present about studying abroad at summer orientation for mm-hmm. freshmen, uh, incoming freshmen. So that was almost every week or every other week during the summer, we would um, be presenting to maybe three or four groups of like a uh, hundred or so students and their parents trying to get them interested. And then after the presentation, there was also a resource fair with lots of different offices from the university. So uh, we would go and just have flyers and handouts and pamphlets and just be there to ask, um, to answer questions. Mm. So that was, that was one piece. We would do some classroom presentations, uh, usually in uh, foreign language classes or um, business classes. The, the majors that tended to send a lot of students abroad, we would just go and talk about focused programs for that class area, basically. Mm-hmm. We also did other one-off events here and there. Uh, we would have a a study abroad fair every semester. So there was definitely a big outreach portion too. Okay. And mm, hmm, maybe this is a no brainer. I don't know if study abroad experience is required to be a study abroad advisor, or if maybe any sort of international experience will do. But for you personally, having studied abroad, you know, multiple times, do you feel like that experience helped you be a better study abroad advisor or feel more equipped to help students since you already kind of were in their position? Yeah, I think it, it did help. And you'll you'll definitely see a lot of job postings for advising roles asking for some sort of international experience or requiring it. Um, when I was applying for jobs, the thing that frustrated me was that a lot of them would not only ask for study abroad experience, but then they would get really specific as far as, um, you know, you must have studied abroad for a semester or a year mm. or something like that. And, you know, I could see uh, being specific about different countries because some advisors specialize in different countries. So that mm. made sense to me, but I, I was a little bit put off by that because I was like, Oh, I've, you know, I've only ever done summer programs because I had a job, you know, <laughs> um, but I, I mean, I was still able to, to get a job. I do think it definitely helps to have that experience, mm-hmm. but it's probably like, like the graduate degree, not super necessary. I think honestly, anyone that's a good listener, I think could be a good study abroad advisor. Cause mm. that's the bulk of, of what it is. Yeah. Okay. And then as for you, Thinking about your own experiences, Russia and then Germany, and then I think you also mentioned was it Spain and Portugal you did when you, in grad school. Um, yeah, was there anything specific that you did in order to be able to afford um, participating in those programs? Yeah, so um, for I think all of 
every program that I did in college, I was applying for scholarships um, pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. The The tough thing for me was that a lot of the scholarships, there were need-based scholarships and merit-based. Mm-hmm. Um, and the need-based ones always went off of your, um, your FAFSA estimated whatever. And I was one of the, those people from a family that kind of fell in that awkward place where uh, yeah. it looks like you make decent money on paper, but you know, I can't just pay for this program out of pocket. And mm-hmm. so that was kind of tough. So I would have to, to strategize. Um, so both times I was able to actually to seek out some help from family in addition to my own savings. Um, so from my parents and my grandparents, and I think also my godparents helped a little bit with one program mm. because otherwise I, I would have, wouldn't have been able to do it. And the program I went on in graduate school, I think I did actually just take out um, an additional loan to pay for part of it. Yeah. Because it's, uh, it's not cheap. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, that is that is um, that is very accurate. Uh, it's not cheap. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. I um, I remember advising some students on a particular program that shall not be named. That okay. was about thirty thousand dollars a semester. <laughs> Ooh, for a study abroad yeah. program. Mm-hmm. Oh my. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It was, <laughs> yeah. It was real awkward because the students would come in all excited because it's, I mean, it's a really cool sounding flashy program. And then I would have to tell them what, how much it cost and you could just see the oh. life die in their eyes. Oh. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was rough. <laughs> $30,000. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I can see where some might say, oh, well, that's my, that's what you would pay in the States anyway, because it's really expensive. So maybe some would be willing to do that anyway for a semester, but that's still a lot for a study abroad program. Wow. 30,000. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't expecting (laughs) to hear that. Oh my. Yeah. That one was a, like a notable outlier. Yeah. I mean, there were definitely some that were pretty expensive, but they were not all that expensive. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So you, like you said, you were applying for scholarships and you also got support from like your family, friends, people in your community, basically, who could yeah. step in and help you. Okay. Well, and what about more generally in terms of, you know, if someone wants to do you know, similar things that you've done in terms of study ab- studying abroad and the various countries you've studied abroad in or uh, participate in similar programs. Do you have any, I guess, general tips or advice? So I would say, number one, if if you're not rich, to start saving now. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just to try and, you know, if, if you're able to have a, a job alongside your studies – can definitely help. And then the other thing is if you're thinking about studying abroad, try and work that into your plan as early as possible. Um, and different universities will do it 
differently, but if there's any sort of way you can indicate interest and have kind of a, a preliminary meeting with an advisor as soon as you can upon getting to college, mm. it definitely helps um, as far as planning out your courses. Because if, if you know coming into college that you want to study abroad sophomore or junior year, you can meet with an advisor as soon as you can, and then they can help you organize like, okay, if I'm going to go abroad junior year, these are the courses typically offered at that time. So I won't take those before then. Um, and I'll make sure I have the prerequisites, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. I saw a lot of students running into that where it can get kind of complicated where there's only certain courses offered uh, in certain programs or you want to go abroad, but you need certain courses this certain semester. So mm. the earlier you can plan it out, the better. Yeah. And I'd probably just say the last thing is to, to be open-minded. There's a lot of different study abroad programs out there, and there's almost always going to be one that is a good fit for you. So, you know, even if you have your mindset on one particular location or program, still keep all your options open because there's just, there's so many. Um, so I think it's, it's a good idea to just remain open-minded so you don't potentially close yourself off to, to something that could be a really good experience for you. Mm. Planning ahead and being open-minded. <laughs> Two very um, vital pieces of advice. So yeah, I appreciate you sharing those. I know it's kind of complicated to think about now, but in terms of like future travels or places you'd like to go, are there any you know, specific countries or cities you have in mind of where you'd like to go in the future? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I so I've never been to Asia. Would love to go. Hmm. Um, I've never been to Australia. I've always wanted to go there too. Uh, I would love to return to to South America. Definitely go back to Europe. There's a ton of countries there I haven't seen. Uh, so probably the top of my list is this is so random. There is this island that's owned by Norway. It's called Svalbard. Uh, oh. It's very close to the North Pole. Okay. And I discovered it from uh, a YouTuber who lives there and just makes videos about it. It looks like the coolest place to visit. Oh and so my. that's the top of my list for right now. <laughs> but yeah, other than that, I'm just like, I'm ready to go anywhere. I am ready for life to get back to normal so I can travel again. <laughs> yeah. So you can go on more adventures and, you know, yeah. make more memories, have more experiences. Yeah. yeah. I feel you. I know a lot of people are feeling that way currently. So I can understand feeling like <laughs> wanting to get back out there again. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, hopefully... One day you get to all those places, uh, including your your number one spot near the North Pole. <laughs> that should be really interesting. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Um, okay, well, I have one more question. But, but those are basically all the questions I have for you today. want to say thank you for being so um, just open and telling me about your experiences, uh, especially being that I'm like a complete stranger so <laughs> yeah i'm i'm always glad to talk about 
study abroad experiences because there's, you know, once you stop being a study abroad advisor, there's not a lot of opportunities to just talk to people about it. So yeah. I definitely had a had a good time going going down memory lane a yeah. little bit. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I had a good time as well hearing about it all. So, um, okay. Well, my first, my last question, rather, my last question before you is: Where can people reach you or keep up with you online if you'd like them to do so? Yeah. Um, so I am on Twitter. I don't remember what my Twitter handle is. <laughs> I could look it up real quick. That's I think okay. it's, yeah, um, <laughs> okay. Yeah. My t- Twitter handle is at T digi writes. So just T D I G I and then writes like writes a book. Mm-hmm. And I'm also on Instagram at DeGiorgio Tierra. Okay. Would you mind spelling that, please? <laughs> oh, yeah. Sorry. It's okay. It's um, D-I-G-I-O-R-G-I-O. Okay. And then Tierra, T-I-E-R-A. Yeah. Sorry, I'm still getting used to it. It's my, my married name, so I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> still working it out. <laughs> okay. It hasn't been, you know, very long. So, I mean, it, yeah. maybe it takes time. I don't know. I guess it takes some getting used to. <laughs> anyway, <Yeah. laughs> um, thank you for sharing those handles. Um, and, and thank you again for your time. Uh, this has been really great. I'll let you go so you can enjoy the rest of your evening. I, I wish you good luck with all your moving stuff. No, thank you. Um, hopefully it doesn't become too stressful or overwhelming for you. Um, but yeah, I just, I hope you have a good rest of your evening, rest of your week, and I hope moving goes well for you as well. So Great. Thank you yeah. so much. And thanks for having me. Yeah, it's, it's been a pleasure. Um, yeah, it's been really great. So thank you so much, Tierra. Mm-hmm, excuse me. Thank you so much, Tierra. And I'll, <laughs> I will be in touch later (laughs) in a few weeks time (laughs) cool sounds good all right (laughs) talk to you later bye (laughs) okay (laughs) bye all right y'all there it is thanks to tiara for being such a wonderful guest and i hope you like how this all turned out for the rest of you listening don't forget to follow this podcast at Young Gifted and Abroad on Instagram and Facebook, and at YG Abroad on Twitter. And don't forget to check out guest profiles and resource lists on younggiftedandabroad.com. Also, if you enjoy what you've been hearing so far, then please continue listening to this podcast wherever podcasts are, and you're welcome to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it. And as always, if you have questions or comments to share, or if you yourself would like to be a guest on the show, then feel free to email me at younggiftedandabroad at gmail.com. So for the next episode in two weeks, the guest is going to be somebody who has traveled to numerous countries all over the world, and in particular has been to quite a few places within China and studied in Shanghai twice. So you can look forward to hearing all about that in two weeks. But until then, thank you so much for listening and talk to you next time.